Hey guys, I'm always getting asked about my podcast and and how do you get to make it and you know what tools are you using to get online and get your ideas out there? Well, let me tell you, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's by far the easiest way to make a podcast today. Everything you need is all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then hosting, which is kind of actually technically relatively complicated. They do all of that stuff and distribute all that stuff. Guess what? For F-R-E-E, they do all of that. It's uh, Spotify. You'll see your podcast show up on Apple, on Stitcher, all these great platforms. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, did I mention that it's free? So here's how you do it. You go to the Anchor app. Go to the App Store. Just put in Anchor. Or you can go to the anchor.fm and you can get started right away. Thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hope, hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing well. I, I am doing well. Today is Sunday uh, in the evening. And uh, it is, uh, dude, the hustle is the heck podcast right now just get her done uh so so there you go there you go i am so excited about uh this next week we're have a great week to end the month you're going what i'll explain we've got some great stuff coming up on the show today we're going to talk about google how to make $99,000 a year. Actually, we're going to talk about certifications. We're going to talk about technology bill that's trying to make its way through Congress. Interesting. We're going to talk about two awesome business ideas that everybody on this call needs to know about. And it's about leadership. What is leadership? How can you lead from behind? What the heck is leading from behind all about? Why are we talking about that? And then we're going to continue our discussion on customer retention, which is, you know, really exciting. I know. Very, very exciting for y'all. So let's get right into it today. All right. Have a seat. Sit down. Relax. My name is uh, Pierre Halsebus, and you are in for a treat this afternoon. It is uh, It is just me. That's it. There's no guest. That's it. That's the treat. <laughs> no, the treat is you get your own cup of coffee uh, and have a seat, and uh, let's talk about uh, the hustle and the hack and what's going on in life and uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness in uh, in our jobs and uh, how we can uh, bring our best self every day, be our authentic self at our job. And, um, you know, if you're thinking about, um, you know, coming into this uh, world as a uh, salesperson, per- this, this podcast is for you. This is for you. The podcast is really practical insights and business development ideas from me, Pierre Hulsebus. I've been doing technology sales and really would 
by most measures, would be considered a sales expert. I've been doing this for 30 years. So really, generally speaking, the general rule of thumb is anytime you've devoted 10,000 hours to some pursuit, uh, you would be considered an expert. And I believe that actually to be very true and very accurate. And uh, so this this is a weekly kind of podcast. We talk a lot of different things, but uh, it usually revolves around customers and sales skills and, and whatnot. You're going to hear from me discussing my ups and downs, and uh, you'll hear some little stories and tales along the way about my sales experience. Um, uh, and uh, But more importantly, this is about you. This is helping you improve uh, our sales skills, where to hunt for new sales opportunities, where to fish, what are some of the business ideas that are floating around in the mind of Pierre Hulsebus? What is in the mind of Pierre and uh, so that is all what we're going to be doing and talking about and having all sorts of fun to do. Uh, so um, I'm going to review uh, our stack of stuff uh, and talk about things that are current in the news. And uh, so it is just a, a little bit of time that we get to spend together. Uh, and so you might hear a little noise in the background. And that is because we're in our, our cafe. There, It's really just sound effects. But don't tell my mom that. She's thinking I'm probably doing this in an actual cafe. And so, Mom, I'm really not. It's just sound effects from a, from a sound thing. I have different uh, cafeterias we can go to um, or cafes. One is um, just general. Be out on the street. So this is kind of like on a street, street side cafe. Um, we have this one here. This is like a pub in England. Kind of hear people in the background kind of chatting there. So I got a little bit of a British accent in there. And then this one is my favorite one, actually. These are, people are in China. We're in China. Talking in Chinese. So kind of out in the park somewhere. Anyway, so, so that's... But uh, you and I are sitting here in the pub. Let's go in the pub today. We're sitting here in the pub and we're having a, a cup of coffee and we're just talking about fun stuff. Uh, and uh, for whatever reason, I have a band apparently with me. That's the theater of the mind here. You have this uh, this awesome band that shows up every five or ten minutes to play a cool song. And uh, what they do is they play um, just a hot lick of... Uh, uh, there, see the drummer? And that's Bob. He's on the drums. And then Jane, she is playing the Hammond organ and then you got John's brother and his name is Phil. Phil plays the electric piano and then there's uh, also a bass player and a guitar player and uh, there's no vocalist for whatever reason. I think their vocalists quit or something and so that's, uh, that's the band here and they show up every once in a while and uh, at the cafeteria. They also have some really nice um, gospel music they like to play uh, too, at the end of every every show for whatever every reason. Anyway, so that's uh, that's me. Um, anyways, hey, so I was just going to, um, because a lot of people are wondering about podcasting and stuff like that. And uh, so one of the things that I do uh, as part of, and I'm going to put, they're not a sponsor of my show at all, uh, uh, but what uh, what I do is there is a, a music service, actually, because one of the things everybody hears about is uh, 
is music licensing. And, and as a professional, we should obviously respect our other, um, other people that are professionals too. And, uh, so there's a, there's a company that, that I subscribe to and they provide, um, licensed music for, for me. And, uh, so you pay a little bit of a, you know, a little fee, uh, for that. Uh, but, uh, that ensures that you're not going to get a takedown request because you reused somebody else's music that you weren't entitled to. So I am entitled to, to all the awesome music that I get to play, um, on the show. And uh, so uh, when you when you put together a podcast or any sort of broadcast, um, even PowerPoint and use that, um, you're really you don't own the images you have to. um, So if you use them in advertising or any way to make money, especially if you use them to make money, well, sorry, you need to pay for that. um, And uh, the musicians need to get, uh, you know, paid for for what you're what you're doing. That's just part of their list. Uh, So there is a a company that's called. um, Epidemic Sound is the name of the of the um, of the organization or the company, and uh, so I, I I subscribe to Epidemic Sound, and that gives me access to tons and tons of music, and uh, so um, so uh, and then lets me broadcast that music on different uh, things, so I can you know um, pl- play different music. I have here some. I've got uh, I picked some fun ones like. Uh, There you go. That's one. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Yeah, you gotta have the... Here, let me play it. It sounds a little better. Here, let me fix this. It'll sound nicer. Let's make it sound a little better. There we go. There you go. Circus music. I have... So is... So, you know, you want to be able to use music um, to a- actually to help set, obviously, a little bit of a mood. And uh, that's what we're doing there. So this is the high, high, high wire act. We have Kitschy. I've got a, a list called Kitschy. <laughs> I just think these are hilarious. Duh. So, yeah, I need to do I need to put a little different bumper music and stuff like that in there. So anyways, that's coming. That's coming. I promise I'll do better with the show uh, audio components. Um, uh, but uh, anyways, well, let's just, man, I've just been kind of rambling on here. Let's actually just get on with it. Also, bus. come on. All right. So that's let's just move into uh, what we want, what I, I committed to promising to talk to you today about. And so the first one is um, really about a business concept uh, that a lot of people are unaware of. And um, it's uh, super relevant in the business that I am in because, uh, you know, what I do is um, I'm in a technology business. And so uh, in the technology space, you have a lot of certifications that are required to do your job. So even though I have been um, doing uh, working on the same basic Microsoft software platform for over 20 years now at this point, um, I am still required to maintain a certification in that, and that certification changes every couple of years. You have to kind of refresh it because new features come out, and uh, so this is what is is going on. And um, so um, there's a video in the stack of stuff that kind of goes through a, a discussion of this idea, specifically for Google. 
Um, but with that said, Google is one of the their company. The other company would be AWS and uh, Microsoft. All three of these companies um, have certification processes to go through to get certified in their um, technology. And um, it's actually, uh, it used to be uh, set up in that I had to um, basically uh, go to a classroom. I would do like a week class to go to these things. And then you would pay for that and be a thousand dollars. It would be pretty expensive to do a couple thousand bucks sometimes, depending on the level of the class and how many people attended and the format and all that. And you would, and I used to actually was a certified instructor for a couple of years. I wrote some curriculum, actually, believe it or not, uh, this is a totally different story, but, uh, so, uh, so I was a trainer just like um, these guys are uh, doing too. So um, Microsoft has the certifications also, and like I said, mentioned, all, all, um, Amazon or AWS. Uh, those certification skills allow you basically to get in and say, hey, I know this business or I know this kind of the technology. So that's marketing. There's Google for education. There's Google for analytics. There's ad management, all sorts of different skills that you can get certified in and what actually a lot of companies require certification. I know the company that I work for requires me to be certified. And uh, so what they've done, it used to be, like I mentioned, these a lot of these were done in person. And what's happened over COVID period, primarily as a result of COVID, um, two things happened. One is the tremendous growth that all these companies have had. And so what you're doing is, um, hey, I, I, uh, I need to get on with it. I need, to, I need to still be certified. I still need to have it, but I can't go to class. And so I need to be online. And then the growth in the business means we need more people too. So you want to lower the barriers for folks to be able to work in your area. So these certifications are really helpful. And so they, instead of being in person, although they often still do offer these in person, they um, have done video versions of these classes and you can pretty much take them for free. And um, so this is, um, this is uh, the way you can go. This is the way you can go. You can um, get your certification in these applications and then go over to the online marketplace um, of like Fiverr, Fiverr, Fiverr. And uh, you can actually offer your skills up on that um, platform. And, um, and it just gives you like gigs. Basically, people go up there and uh, buy or kind of get um, get professional services. And now you can kind of do like, because you've learned the AdWords certification process, you can go up and set up AdWords. And the thing that's really cool about this is um, given the skill set, you're also able to kind of start low. You can kind of like bid way down and kind of set that expectation low. I'm just new, I'm just starting. And someone will give you a chance. And this is one way. This is a career hack, I'm telling you. And it's going to work for a lot of people is learning the certification online without going to a university, going and then marketing yourself as a contractor available for work by the hour in these areas that do require certification. And uh, when you can do that, that's remote work. This is graphic design. This is programming and technology. This could be writing and translation. This could be videos and animation, digital marketing, music and audio. All of those are in the Fiverr um, 
uh, marketplace. And uh, that uh, company, F-I-V-E-R-R, is a basically a marketplace that allows you to basically advertise your skills up there. And then people will hire you and then they pay you uh, through that platform to do the work. And it's pretty cool. And so that's just a little bit of a career hack that's that's uh, emerging. But man, that is uh, going to become a huge a uh, huge way to to go uh, for a lot of folks. It is a career hack. A lot of folks, um, people like myself, and I'll be, you know, if you went and looked on my um, LinkedIn, you'll find that I studied broadcasting and cinematic arts uh, in college. I was not able to finish my degree. And um, at, back in the 80s, I did not do that. I did not finish my degree. After three years, I ran out of cash and I wasn't doing very well academically. And so I stepped away from college. And uh, well, there you go. And then um, I, I was not, uh, uh, I didn't go back and re-enroll. I got involved in selling uh, within um, a, a certain period of time after um, being done with school, within about five ish, maybe a little longer, about five years later, I'm, you know, a professional salesperson. And uh, as a salesperson, uh, as we know, we've talked about this many times, uh, you don't need a degree. Your boss doesn't care about your degree. They they care less about that. Um, that what they want is they want some dollars. They want you to make your quota. And uh, you have to be creative in how you get that. You know, they want you to make the money. And uh, the marketing degree that you have is helpful, maybe, if if you can turn that into insight and skill set. But in many ways, sales is a trade in the sense of you have to just basically be able to perform the job at a certain level in order to be successful. And so your your sales degree um, isn't necessarily the thing that's going to keep you employed. It's uh, what's going to keep you employed is actually closing business. And uh, so it might open some doors for you, but it uh, it could uh, not um, have any sort of positive impact or negative impact. It could be neutral. Anyways, not that I'm down on that. Actually, I I, I think it's a, a good a good thing uh, when we're younger. Uh, we we need to learn some stuff, and this is that's a good way to accelerate that learning. Uh, is is by going through uh, college and understanding industry and business as a whole. So I'm not a guest at it all. In fact, I kind of guest teach <laughs> at different universities. So that's the last thing I want to say is it's 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 not a worthy oppor- um, pursuit. But like I said, um, certifications for certain skills can be very very good. Uh, and so um, and uh, that's a great marketplace. So that's kind of a career hack if you have somebody that's really interested in uh, the tech side or. Um, kind of science, technology, and marketing, um, there you go. There you go. That's a good way to uh, to go at it. So, all right. Hey, uh, how about how about another, um, how about another idea? I'll throw another idea at you here. Um, here we go. Let, whoop, let me show, throw, throw another idea out there. All right. Idea number two. It is, um, hey, there is a bill right now that is making its way through the congressional components, lessons from constructions. And uh, one of the things, it's out of The Economist magazine, and uh, it is just, uh, it is about infrastructure plan and stuff that's happening. And this is one thing that, you know, uh, what I really wanted to say about uh, the um political eco uh, economics uh, system that um, there often is um, when uh, we have a more democratic um, Congress uh, and uh, administration 
there is always a desire typically to uh, gain um, infrastructure or to spend money on the on the um, largesse of the federal government and things or the state government for that matter. And uh, usually opportunities in that sector, the government sector, usually go up. And right now, the government sector is about as hot as it's ever been. And when I say hot, I just mean lots of opportunities um, that are happening. And so once this $1.7 trillion infrastructure plan uh, gets through both uh, the Senate Republicans and the Democratic House, uh, and this all gets reconciled uh, in some big giant um, bill and the president signs it, uh, there's going to be a lot of money available for uh, for y'all out there because that money has to go somewhere. It doesn't just like, oh, okay, $1.7 trillion doesn't just happen. Like it just doesn't get like they are not signing checks. Stuff has to get built and infrastructure has to be built. And uh, so you really need to start looking at the details. I'm just I'm suggesting that uh, to to y'all that you start looking at the the public sector as a potential place for you to um, to create some business opportunities. And if you're kind of looking right now at, hey, what industries should I go into? This is going to be for the next several years, five years or so, is going to be a tremendous um, industry to be in. Uh, whether it's technology, um, if we know anything, we've seen vulnerabilities in the security sectors that have happened. Um, we've seen um, the different uh, branches of the military make tremendous upgrades in their infrastructure uh, to not only combat cyber, but also just to, you know, we have aging equipment. There's always aging equipment. And so new equipment has to come out uh, in order to replace the old equipment. We've been in military activity for the last 10, over 10, actually for a lot longer than that, 20 years in Afghanistan. Um, that plan is going to draw down a whole bunch of those troops, uh, and we're pretty much going to be out of those um, theaters of war for uh, you know um, in a large way. And uh, that just means there's logistic opportunities, there's opportunities to replace um, the the actual vehicles. And so, if you're in the in the military um, op, um, section in terms of selling this, you got some good stuff coming. And if you have the opportunity to go over to that se- segment of the economy. That's also a pretty good area to go. But there's also a bunch of other infrastructure systems that have to happen along with whether that's um, growth in the software to support, like in my business, it's you know positioning us to support the infrastructure builders. So that is utilities, road construction, mechanical contractors. There's a tremendous um, amount of money that's getting us uh, earmarked for um, schools actually to improve their internal air handling systems and the uh, the security systems in schools, uh, and so federal money is going to get uh, made available for those schools to the tunes of several billions of dollars uh, that will get assigned to have them do upgrades to their infrastructure around having cleaner air in and air handling systems inside of schools. I <laughs> do you all remember the the school? I remember the school I lived in had. All we had, we had no AC, and of course, uh, all we had was heaters, and they were the baseboard kind of heaters in the side, and everybody had a big boiler room uh, inside of their schools. Uh, so you just not like you had air uh, filtration systems or even air conditioning, moving stuff around. You didn't have those in those old schools. Uh, you didn't have that, and so not now. Of course, we do, but uh, 
have those in a lot more schools, but a lot of schools don't have that stuff. And of course, that means if you have under the pandemic, you know, air quality actually ends up being a big deal. And so that means a whole bunch of money is getting assigned uh, and become available in those areas. So, so yeah, think about think about that. Think about where you could uh, where you could um, you know kind of leverage some of that uh, because uh, two hundred fifty billion dollars over a given period of time uh, is a lot of money. Now, the way that the government spends funny money like this, uh, and I, I shouldn't call it funny money, but the way this money is spent is that right now it's. You're, what you're hearing in the news is um, a dollar amount, but in reality, the details are are in those bills. That's what's in those bills, and that's why they can say 1.7 billion because there's actually money inside of these that are earmarked, and that's the term that I'm just using. I'm saying set aside or um, targeted at very specific businesses and industries and um, things that need to be done. So like I mentioned, heating and cooling for schools is one of those. Let's improve the the school infrastructure for education. Uh, that's just one of them. There's also road and bridge construction and, you know, like I mentioned, other other areas. So um, employment training is a, is a big area uh, too. So anyways, that's, there you go. That's uh that's uh, there she go. Two hundred and fifty billion dollars in in tech research. You know, pretty cool, eh? Hey, um, okay. This is going to be very controversial. <laughs> I have one that, uh, um, mom, if you're listening, you may want to turn this off for a little bit because I'm going to talk about somebody. All right, let's stop that. All right, on with it. Let's get on with it. Um, uh, um, um, okay, I'm going to say this story, actually. Um, so uh, Salma Hayek, um, if you're my age uh, in the mid-50s, um, Salma Hayek has been an icon, a kind of our equivalent of Sophia Loren, if you're older. And if you don't know who Sophia Loren or um, think uh, in your more cooler and current and a hipster you know think of somebody like one of the kardashian chloe kardashian or something like the selma hayek is just an icon uh for many of us uh that uh, kind of grew up with some of the movies that she was in uh actually she's my wife's favorite movie so um anyways uh which is which is uh, a really great uh movie about a hispanic guy and a or a hispanic woman and a and a white guy basically getting uh married and uh, they're alive together, and so that's that's me. That's I we I married a Mexicana, and uh, anyway, she loves that movie. Fools Russian. That's her favorite movie. Anyways, so um, so anyways, uh, Selma Hayek admitted recently that her bikini pictures aren't exactly what they seem, and um, and then you know she goes on to talk about that she had to. Um, she's in a movie, um, and uh, she's in a movie now, and so she had to gain weight for being in this movie. And so during uh, uh, her Christmas vacation last year, she um, she took a whole boatload of pictures of her in her, you know, different um, outfits and whatnot, you know, doing all the stuff that a, a starlet in Hollywood would do. A star, you know, is like, hey, I'm hot, and here's my picture of me in my bathing suit. Aren't I cool? And uh, so what? <laughs> so she's posting these pictures like, "Hey, I'm out on the beach right now, and here's my lifestyle, and you know, aren't I cool?" 
And uh, so Halle Berry does this too. these older actresses, um, you know, trying to stay relevant. And I'm not not hating the player. I'm not hating the player at all. I mean, Lord bless these uh, ladies and the challenges that they have uh, with trying to stay relevant as, you know, um, you know, age happens. We get older. It's just there's nothing. It's not anybody's fault. And so, um, you you know, anyways, so she's she's balancing this. Um, and so, like, again, hats off to somebody doing that. My So what is the point? Why are we talking about Salma Hayek and her bikini pictures? Um, well, the reason is, and you're like, how did this even get in your feed, Pierre? Um, I don't, who knows? Who knows? Maybe just because I'm 57 and this is somebody that we watch their movie all the time. I don't know. Anyways, get on with it. All right. It's in MSN. So maybe that's, anyways. So uh, my point of this is, and, and it goes back to what I was talking about um, last week and actually the week before that, which was about the way that um, the press um, reports on things. Um, and they're not always true. They try to fill the, the news uh, with news. And so sometimes they have to make news up. And some people know that. And so that they step into this gap where there isn't news. And so this is why when we think about now Dogecoin and Bitcoin currency and the Bitcoin economy, who do we think of now first? We think of Mark Cuban and Elon Musk because there is nobody in charge of those currencies. It's not like we have an Alan Greenspan or whomever the current uh, uh, Janet Yellen, who is the current currently in charge in the United States over the economies, um, economic like money supply and the Fed. Uh, She's the chair of the Fed. And so. Uh, so then they come up before Congress and we, they get to ask questions and they answer questions and you get to understand the strategy and the timing and whatnot. Bitcoin doesn't have any of that. And so um, so in steps, you know, anytime somebody wants to write an article, they always mention those two guys and come to find out they don't they don't really actually have big investments in these um, systems um, as things have gotten um, leaked out. And so it's just one of those things. It just reminded me when I saw this article that Salma Hayek's coming clean and saying that, you know, those those cool pictures you see of me. um, The reality is I'm actually fatter than those pictures uh, portray. Uh, and I'm kind of shining you on. I'm kind of not being exactly honest when in the middle of, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I sent out a picture. But those are really from a year ago when I was a lot skinnier than I am today. So, you know, don't always believe what you, you feel you want to believe. You're like, you know, she's setting a standard that's unobtainable by most women. And uh, so it's just, a, again, nothing against her personally. She's this, But this is the game. This is she, It's a game. It's a marketing thing. Anyways, I thought it was interesting. I think it was interesting. It also, you know, I, I got to do some research on that, too. So I had to, you know, I had to look at various pictures and compare. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Come on. That's not, I can't, what's that? That's not right. You can't do that. That's that's bad. That is bad, Pierre. You're, um, yeah. I've, my the lucky part about this is my wife doesn't listen to my podcast, and so um, when I say, "Hey, honey, how's how's the podcast?" This is what I hear. Oh, okay. All right, sweetie. All right, I love you. All right, thank you. That's what I do. I applause her. Anyways, uh, 
All right, let's move on. <laughs> Talked about, I've gotten myself in enough hot water on this one here. Lord help us all. All right. Whoop. So um, uh, one of the next things I wanted to mention, mention. All right. What do we want? We want to mention. All right, this is it's half past the hour, so uh, we we for the last few minutes we want to uh, just uh, talk about uh, what do we want to talk about? We want to talk about a, two basic pro- uh, properties. One of them is a leadership um, idea, and the other is customer related. So I am going to start with the. What do you think? Hmm, what should I start with? Let's start with the leadership principle: leading from behind. Um, so you can look this up again. It's on the stack. I've got a link to it, but it is really considered one of these best practices. So when you are a leader, often what a lot of people that are CEOs, of course, Hey, I'm the leader. I am the chief executive officer. So everybody does what I, I wanted them to do. And, uh, so you obey me because I'm in charge. And a lot of us actually believe this is a successful model, that leadership, strong, quote unquote, strong leadership from above is really the best way to run an organization. And uh, using those, um, that power position of somebody's in charge uh, and tells everybody what to do is the best model. And in fact, it is not the working best model for most organizations that work in ideas or even build products for customers. Um, that's usually not it. Um, because, and why is that? Why is it that way? What is it about that, about uh, kind of the current environment for work that makes it not be so? So the first is, first thing realize you have as an employee, you have choices, right? You have choices. And we've talked about this before. You have to have, build a mindset for yourself that you're not there as a desperate act of somebody who desperately needs a job. And that's the reason why I'm here. When you get in that position, of course, that is when you are exploited. That is when when you don't know your value. That is when you are underpaid. That's when you're not, uh, you know, uh, you're in no position to leverage anything because you're basically believe you're begging for money. And it's only just a matter of time before they figure out that I'm a complete fraud and uh, that I'm not really qualified for this position. And then I'm going to be let go any moment. No. You have to realize the value that you bring to the table. You have to understand this from a broad capabilities in the market where, uh, you know, how hard is it to hire somebody to replace you? What are you bringing to the table? The core principle for us is you deliver more than you get paid. You deliver more. That's the whole thing. You're always delivering more. Um, you're exceeding your value to the organization because you're delivering more and you have to be able to measure that. You have to be able to talk about it. You have to be able to say, yeah, you let me go. Um, these, these 47 things aren't going to get done. And that's the cost of losing me here. So you need to be able to kind of get in that mindset of like, you are a little bit of a product that you're, you know, you have to, your value uh, to the organization and to your customers is always going to exceed what you receive. You're going to leave the place better than you found it. You're going to bring to the table more than they're paying you. That's true. That will always be true if you're going to be successful. 
And so, um, so you're, you have choices. That also means you can leave. And so if somebody appreciates that, you know, you, you can leave. So you have value in this whole thing. It's not just, you're not just an order taker. Uh, you are, you know, you're an important part of developing a business and executing on a strategy. You're an important part of that solution and that whole organization. You're on a team to that ultimately delivers solutions or whatever to a customer. And, um, so, uh, and uh, if you're in a bank, let's just imagine I'm at the lowest level of sales at a customer service I- at a bank. I am the teller. I'm a bank teller. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the lowest paid employee of an organization often has the biggest impact in customer like satisfaction, which is crazy when you think about it. It's not at Chase Bank. It's not Jamie Dimon, uh, the guy that runs the, the show that gets paid the big bucks, that um, has anything um, anything to say uh, about um, how you feel when you go into a retail banking experience. Um, the biggest impact is how that tra- teller who gets paid a pretty good sum, probably 15 bucks an hour, just a little above minimum wage usually, that bank teller, um, how well they treat you, how well they greet you. Do they greet you well? Do they hand over the, how do they handle your money? Um, are they accurate at what they do? Are they professional? Do you feel safe? Uh, all of these types of things are the sense that you get as a customer, and that has way more impact on it than you know what the CEO says in um, Bloomberg or something like that, or some sort of leadership marketing meeting that 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 he's in charge of. <laughs> None of that really affects your personal sense as a customer about what's going on. And uh, so, so everybody usually from the bottom up has the biggest impact in delivering customer care. So think about a giant company like Amazon or just the company you work for. Who, what, where is your value? And it's usually like the person packing the box at Amazon. This is what Amazon knows this. This is why they pay well and they try to treat those employees really, really well. How they want to have complete control over the delivery part of that um, package because that's all they do. They don't make anything. They just distribute stuff that other people give them. And so the, the, the only thing that their distribution system can fail at is, is bruising that, um, that box, you know, so he, they get a pristine piece of equipment in to sell you and they sell it to you and then they're going to deliver it to your house. If that thing shows up broken, that's bad, right? That's the, and they did it. They're responsible for it. If it shows up on time, exactly as you expected it in a, a box that has a little smiley face on it and the, it's either the UPS driver or the Amazon person that d- delivers it to you. They um, have a little smiley, happy face, and you see it on your little camera when you get it at your house. You had a good experience. You walk away. They could only screw that up. They're like, if if everything goes well, um, you know, basically nothing happens except a box gets delivered on time and as expected without being broken. So any part of that process that's inaccurate or doesn't uh, put the packaging in correctly or hands it to you in a, a bad manner just messes that up. It only screws it up. It is it is like, um, think about it. Uh, I think about this all the time. It is like, uh, the, I listened to a, de- a lecture with Michael Dell one time, 
And Michael Dell had this analogy because he realized at the time he actually didn't make any of the components in the computer. They just assembled those in their organization and then delivered them to the customer. And he said, it's like bananas. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? He's like, yes, we can only bruise the banana. We can just bruise the banana. And uh, he's like, everybody was a little confused by that. But I have, I have, I totally agree with this analogy. This is a perfect analogy. Um, Products are picked out in the field. Bananas are picked out in the field when they're green, of course, and they're picked before they're ripe. And they take a couple weeks to go from the field to, let's say, your local Costco or your local grocery store. There's several weeks between the time they get picked and shipped and and uh, delivered to the store and for you to buy and eat them later in that week, right? Um, so think about that entire supply chain doesn't actually make the banana any better than it is. It doesn't make the banana taste better. It doesn't make the banana look better. The banana delivered to you in that pristine condition is just as God had intended you to consume the banana. It's perfect. The only thing that the supply chain can do is screw it up. They can only bruise the banana. They can't improve the banana. They can't make it taste better by any means that they do. And so that's why that supply chain and the delivery of something is so, so critical and important. So um, as a business development person and as a salesperson, you have to understand that uh, uh, the organization is what delivers that. It is a whole bunch of people. It's not just you. It isn't just you. So sales managers, when things suck, it's not just the salesperson. The salesperson may be horrible, but they also may be awesome and the, the results are still bad. And that is because the banana has been bruised. <laughs> Somebody bruised the banana along the way. And you have to figure that out. That's a little bit of the challenge around. Uh, that's that's the business challenge, isn't it? That's the fun part, actually, trying to figure out where the banana is bruised. Is it in a, a machine? Is it in the cutting? Is it in the shipping? Is it in the, is it in the um, harvesting? Is it in the store that delivered it? There's so many people that have to touch that banana, so many places where it has to go. But um, and so and we don't really know about it until, you know, weeks later when we get a bruised banana on, uh, you know, somebody's banana starts to ripe. Anyways, so that's that's the concept here. So how does what does that have to do with the concept of leading from behind? Why is that important? Well, it's because uh, often we we want to think, hey, I'm going to be in charge of this. So I'm in charge. I'm going to tell everybody what to do. And uh, so that's not a great idea all the time. You don't want to just tell everybody what to do, what you um, you and tell them, hey, you must do it this way and you must do it that way. A lot of times you want to do that. You don't want to do that. A lot of times you want to take a position like and this is where leading from behind comes from. This concept is, you know, everybody um, has all we've all seen um, the musher, the uh, dog sleds, the dog sled guys. And the um, the dog sled guys um, they have this big train of, of of huskies in front of them, and they're gliding over the snow at uh, an incredible rates, and they're they're um, they're on a journey. And there's a guy who's on the sled behind the dogs. Now the guy doesn't do anything to propel that whole organization, that whole sled, and all the stuff that's on the sled that they're trying to transport anywhere. He doesn't, 
he doesn't help the um, forward momentum uh, with his actions. He's not pushing it. He's not out there pulling it. He actually has a, a group of dogs actually in front of him. Now, th- it's just an amazing thing to see in action. But it's the idea, leading from behind is really the idea of, of helping people um, uh, harness the collective genius of that group, right? So um, within dogs, they have a hierarchy. That group has a hierarchy. Um, there is the lead dog, it's typically a female, and it's uh, kind of a matriarchal kind of organization, uh, the way that a dog pack is set up. And uh, so so there's the alpha dogs and the lead dogs, and they're in charge, basically, of the other dogs. And that's how they pack together. And they have their little own internal language that they use around body language and who's in charge and who what all of that. And so the role of the musher, he knows the destination, and he knows the timeline, and he understands the resources that we need to get there. And he communicates to the lead dog, and a lot of that also goes to the other dogs because they know what they're doing then. But it's all about communication and helping them understand the direction and speed that they need to go at. And once that communication is done, they are doing the work, and you are being pulled along as the as the musher, as the fella in the back. So leading from behind doesn't mean... Um, turning over the leadership responsibilities to other people. Um, you think about a shepherd. The shepherd makes sure that the flock stays together. He uses his staff to nudge and prod uh, the, if the flock strays too far off course or into danger. The leaders um, are really harnessing the, the collective genius of that organization and that team and uh, doing so really entails those uh, responsibilities of guiding and nudging and prodding and helping people um, do it. And uh, they, um, it's not easy. It's actually very hard to do. But um, a lot of times this one relies on a really important leadership principle, which is communication. Obviously, it's starting a, um, I have the idea, maybe if you're a founder or you're starting, you know, you're the leader, the CEO of your little company, this is how you have to grow it, right? You have all the passion, you have the big picture, but you know, you can't do everything in the company now anymore to grow it. You have to give that away. And when, uh, when you start to see the results, sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not so great. And uh, you have to basically communicate to other folks to help them become the leaders, too. Uh, and so, like in the musher, I, I'm basically saying, I'm not in charge of those dogs. The lead dog is the one there, and you're giving, you understand the direction, and you're kind of giving that information away. And uh, so it, you can still have a formal hierarchy, um, but, yeah, and, uh, but consider flattening that out within the team. As a manager, you want to keep an open door, emphasize on things like collaboration, make sure everyone feels as if they're in it together, as well as fostering innovation. You promote engagement within the team, ensuring that everybody then is able to do their best. And so it's not this like, I'm in charge, you're not in charge, so you do what I say. That's not the system you want to set up now. You want to help pull the best out of your people, hire smart people that are capable of doing those roles. And then your job is to communicate the ideas from the to the top and help 
those folks that are in leadership, maybe it's your store managers, uh, maybe that's your, you know, the head of marketing or something like that, is uh, letting them know what you want as outcomes and how you and uh, maybe some of the things you've learned in the past, but let them then take that leadership role and that helps you get out of that um, position. Actually, what you want to do is give that position away. I used to do this. Now somebody else does it. That frees you up to grow in other areas. So people want to have this expectation now that they want to co-own the opportunities and they want to bring their best self to that And sometimes it feels really chaotic for us that are founders, or maybe if you're a little more structured uh, than, uh, and when you look at an organization, I've had, I've had this, (laughs) I've been told this several times and I love it. It's like, no, Pierre, you were, this is, this department's out of control. You, who's in charge here? And I've heard that many times actually uh, when I, when I managed people and uh, or often even when I'm in charge of a class, because uh, I will let things kind of devolve into a little bit of chaos. Uh, and that's OK. That's OK, because uh, you can, you know, smart people, you can bring them back. You can bring them back. I trust them. And um, anyways, so that is an idea. What is leading from behind mean to you? Um, make some comments. Uh, why don't you send send me a little email? Let me know what that uh, means to you. But uh, I think that is a, such a critical thing uh, for us to really have as a model is this concept of leading from behind. And uh, it is not a cop-out. It's not a way to get out of work because you ultimately often, when you are a leader, you're responsible for the outcomes. What you're not responsible necessarily is how you get there. That's where you want to use your team. That's where you want to um, let folks bring those ideas and that human-centered design model to the table and bring a creativity to this that allows people to be themselves and allows them to um, enable um, innovation to happen through a team of diverse individuals. You don't want to pick, obviously, people that are all just like you, that all have the same experience. That you know, this um, this month really is Pride Month, and if nothing, nothing else really to me represents this concept uh, more than in a diverse workplace um, than than that uh, uh, push today in corporate America for diversity. Diversity is often misunderstood uh, as a as a need to kind of I don't know. some sort of political comment or statement on politics or something like that. And it's not, it's not, I've, I've never looked at it like a political thing. It's much more about the need that we have as teams and organizations to allow people to be themselves and to bring their best self to work and not have to worry about being judged and, and um, like that they're on check all the time because they don't fit everybody else's concept of what that means needs to be and uh, so obviously we have professional standards and things like that that are important and we do represent a company and so yes that is true we do have a certain amount of like what we should and shouldn't be doing professionally like in terms of let's say our clothes or what we wear and understanding that you know we're not going to 
show up in an important business meeting and you know jeans and a t-shirt sometimes maybe maybe your company has that as part of their culture and that's fine but in my world you know you can't do that i can't i can't show up in a meeting when i'm trying to pitch bankers and trying to <laughs> to talk about how stable and how much we understand their business and then show up uh, not wearing the same uniform that their business um, has it'd be just the same thing as if i was um, selling to a farmer and showed up in a, you know, a tuxedo. It would just be ridiculous. And this is the kind of the same thing. So obviously we need to learn to speak the customer's language. And part of that means um, kind of measuring, and I don't want to use the co- term compromise our personal, because you don't need to compromise who you are as a person, but um, you have to understand the context that, that you're in and, uh, and, and the audience that you're talking to. And, and you have to find that balance and what's appropriate and I trust you. You're going to make some mistakes, but that's okay. You can make some mistakes. You can screw this up from time to time. People are going to screw up. It's okay. It's okay. Um, if you're if you're working for me and stuff like that happens, and you know we just walk away and kind of have a little chuckle about it, and uh, we learn from our mistakes and we can move forward. And it's all good. Like this is not the stuff that you fire people over. This is a growth opportunity for people to learn. So there's going to be a lot of things of stylistic um, um, kind of um, people um, and things where we don't, um, you know, leading from from behind isn't always the easiest because we're giving things away to people that are, are um, uh, you know, not like us, so to speak, not, not coming from our background or perspective. And the diversity we're seeing in the workplace today is just is awesome. And it's more critical than ever for us to really try to find those biases that we have that keep us from having that diverse workforce and that diverse team structure that, uh, that uh, because companies that man, that uh, that master this are going to do way better. Organizations that are, are are able to master that level of diversity, you're going to be able to deliver products that meet meet a broader audience that are easier to use uh, and uh, to to bring into market. You're going to have sales pitches and um, marketing campaigns that uh, address a broader audience that more speak to the language of the customers and the markets that you're trying to speak to. And uh, we see that, I see that, we all see that happening um, in um, a lot of different uh, settings and, and, and commercial appeals that are happening today. So leading from behind is hard to do. What's, what's really easy to do is step into the place and tell people what to do. And uh, the hardest place often is to um, stand by and let people sometimes make mistakes and um, to help them learn through the process like you learned. And it's that kind of rod and staff, like the, um, like we were saying earlier, the shepherd that is able to know when to bring correction and when to um, gently say, nope, you're getting off the path here. Let's you know, like refocus and stuff like that. So, uh, the lessons um, of leading from behind are, are many for organizations and businesses looking to optimize their talent and ideas, even interns, even folks. Um, I work for a nonprofit or work um, on the board of a nonprofit. And, um, you know, we have a lot of interns in that world and uh, they can bring a lot of 
cool perspectives, things that, that we haven't thought of before because they, they have a different experience and they, they come from a, a, a more, maybe let's say a different creative space um, than, than we have. Uh, so it's good. It's good. Anyways. All right. All right. What's, what's next on the list? What's next on the list? We're, we're getting close people. We're getting close. It's really close. It's just a few minutes and then we're, we're done. All right. (laughs) What is next on the list? Well, let's next on the list is uh, customers. Uh, We talked last week about uh, customer retention rate and how this is so important uh, for uh, companies to measure and manage and look at. And so I wanted to talk about, I'm going to go actually literally down this list uh, over the next few weeks, and we're going to spend a little time on it every every uh, week because these are all awesome business ideas. Uh, that uh, twenty six different ways to improve customer retention. What are the twenty six cust- uh, ways? And uh, I have done pretty much every one of these and built a program or product uh, to uh, to to measure uh, and to manage these uh, these different things. So um, the first one. That's really important about customer retention. When you have a customer retention problem uh, and customers aren't sticking around like you think they should, there is, uh, you got to find out the reasons for that. So one of the best ideas is to manage all the customer touch points. And it's a really good idea to kind of go, all right, so if I, um, if I never owned your product and then, um, then I went through and purchased the product and I deployed or started using it. And um, I then had my first bill or something in that order, my kind of first transaction when I decided to um, come on board or my um, I was going to quit you, so to speak, to go to another carrier. Let's say we're buying a cell phone service and now we're going from an Apple over to an Android. I want to build that entire touch point. And it's surprising, all of the touch points. What are all the times your company or your organization talks to that customer from the, big, from the moment of ideation and when they decide, hmm, I think I may want to consider that product all the way to I've owned it for 20 you know, months and I hate it or I love it and I'm going to renew. Like what are all the points in between that that you talk to the customer? And the, so the touch, quote unquote, touch points that could be, um, the invoicing, it could be the sales dialogue that you have. It could be the um, the invoicing process. Um, it could be uh, the marketing communications that you sent to them up front. It's just a very simple way to understand this. And beginning with the um, implementation of these um, programs, then now I have a roadmap that allows me to kind of map uh, out where the problems could be. Where are the problems? Uh, so maybe to improve retention with a customer, we're not delivering on a promise that we made. So it's not that the service is bad. It's just that we are sending the wrong signal to the customer. So they think they're buying something. And what we're delivering is something else. It's maybe 
that. So the marketing communication is inappropriate. It, it sets a different expectation for the actual deliverable that we have within the thing. There are the promises that a sales organization makes in their proposals to the what the actual service department or the installers deliver. Like that expectation, because often these are all done by different departments, right? We have the marketing people, we have the sales department, we have the service department, and we have maybe, let's call it accounting or operations. Like, so you have all four of these departments all communicating to the customer, but maybe the only thing that they ever have in common is the logo they use on the top of their paper that they send to the customer. Like, They don't have a coordinated understanding of the delivery. And so like I was saying earlier about how um, the idea that lowest paid employees often have the biggest impact on customer retention and customer um, um, satisfaction is true. And and so maybe it's not has anything to do with the marketing message. Maybe it has to do with the way that the accounting people collect from the customer. Maybe they're rude or maybe they treat the customer as if like they don't understand all the transactions. Like all of us are really upset when we have to call into customer service and we punch in our customer number. And then the first thing the person on the phone asks us is what is your customer number? It's like, I gave you my customer number to the stupid phone system before I got on the call with you. You obviously aren't seeing that on the screen. You're just now telling me effectively, you have no clue who I am. And I'm already starting off a service relationship with somebody. I'm already upset. Um, we see this, I'm doing some work right now with some very high end, um, um, global companies that are in the uh, accounting and uh, business. And so, um, man, uh, your accountant and doctor should know everything about you. You have been to the same doctor for the last 20 years, let's say. And yet every time I go to my doctor, he says, uh, <laughs> Dr. Vinny Boomba, Dr. Vinny Boomba says, uh, Pierre, um, can you tell me a little about your medical history? It's like, doctor, I mean, you were there when I was born. Why are you asking me these questions? You've performed every medical procedure. Like, It's because the customers remember you, but your organization doesn't retain the memory of the customer because the doctor doesn't believe anything that that you're going to say. He only looks at the paper, the chart. That's what he looks at. He reads the chart. If it's not on the piece of paper, it didn't exist. And this is what happens in organizations too, you know. It's because we don't understand that customer touch points. And so until you've actually laid all that out, it's going to be very hard to fix anything. You need to map out all those customer touch points. That is really number one. You want to build, uh, once you have that, once you have that, it is, uh, the first one is the onboarding process. And uh, so it's not about the sales and marketing And it's uh, not about invoicing. It is all about creating that onboarding process um, part. This is what Apple figured out early on when they were selling cell phones is it's the box, stupid. It is all about that experience of getting that thing out of the box. And so they pay such attention to the way the presentation is for you out of the box. 
And then how do I activate my phone? And the, what they found out why the iPhone was so successful at the beginning and controversial is that they would only sell it through carriers that allowed them to do the activation process. So you actually, when you bought the first Apple phones, the cell carriers were so crappy at delivering the onboarding process that they took over the onboarding process at Apple. And so you got this beautiful box, this wonderful onboarding experience. And so your expectation was, this is going to be a great thing. And as a customer, you're getting off on the right foot. So they have a great ad and all of that. Uh, uh, The, Aside, the aside from that was the Microsoft phone experience. I work for Microsoft, but I can tell you that the onboarding phone experience for Microsoft was very difficult. And it was because they didn't uh, do all of that work. They tried to make it so that the carriers, any of the carriers could do uh, work with, um, with the Microsoft phones. And so they got this very inconsistent onboarding experience. Uh, the carriers didn't have consistency. And so as a product they uh, they had a really bad um, experience so anyways what we're saying is you want to work to have a good impression and build out a really great onboarding process that is those are the first two on the uh, ways and we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in the our follow-up podcasts uh, for you guys but with that said i am ready i think i hope you're ready i hope you're ready i am ready to go it's been one hour had a great time together today i'll talk to you later next week we're going to talk about next week i'm going to be in africa so i'm going to try to do my podcast from africa and uh, so i hope you have a great day and i will talk to you all soon you guys are the best and i'm going to tell you this i say it every week you're a promise you have are filled with potential and uh, let's go out there and find it let's make it happen Talk to you soon.